0: Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message.
1: I'll never forget the man that was there when it happened and shared it with me and shared it from my pulpit before I became a pastor. When in the war, when they were bombed heavily and children were thrown under shambles and buildings came down upon people, and finally they heard the cry of a little boy, and the little boy was four years of age, and they had to do everything in their power to remove all the things upon his little body, and he was seriously injured. But when they finally uncovered him from all the things that were upon him, the wood and 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 everything that came upon his body, he made this one statement. Crying and very much hurt, he said, Why did they try to kill me? I have never done anything to hurt them. Why did they try to kill me? I have never done anything to hurt them. And Jesus said to the Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? When he was crucified in his human weakness. From a physical standpoint. Now this Christ. That died for you is present. His Holy Spirit. Is present. If I could communicate to you in classes and sermons. Just this much. It would change your life. Jesus Christ. Isn't a theoretical or theological. Knowledge principle that we learn by reading Jesus Christ is not just among us Jesus Christ according to this precious passage is in us he is not just among us he is in us he is in us Jesus Christ is in us he's in me he's in you The one that is ahead of all the principalities and powers is in you, living. The one that created the universe is in you, living. The one that is God Almighty that had no beginning is in you as a living person, living. Christ inside of you. This would overwhelm any sinner. And God help us not to magnify our weakness when Jesus Christ is in us. God help us not to focus on our circumstances or our differences when Jesus Christ is in us. Jesus Christ is in me. Oh, the comfort of it all the fellowship of it, the reality of it. Yes, I can be quiet and be overwhelmed with tears. I cannot speak and be fulfilled with His presence. I cannot even deal with my mind and sense the awesomeness of this wonderful Holy Spirit, this wonderful faithful Christ and then his living word, he's in me. He's in me. I could say that and then I could get down here and fall prostrate. And begin to praise him. And thank him. Jesus Christ didn't just come to die for me. But he came to live in me. He didn't just leave me in the world alone with the gospel. He didn't leave me to face all the challenges of hell and all the forces of the demons just by saving me externally. And that's how many Christians live. But he came to come on the inside. And it is with this truth that the Christian has to deal with his understanding and with his faith in this verse, Colossians 1, 27. Paul said, I didn't come to ask for money. I didn't come to build a kingdom. I didn't come to have a TV empire. I didn't come to have a big cathedral and a marvelous church. He said, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he said, I have come To point to a Savior. And to point to a Savior that was God incarnated. My mission, my ministry, is to tell people that Jesus Christ wants to live inside of them. That Jesus Christ wants to take them to heaven. He wants to prevent them from going to hell. That Jesus Christ wants to teach them and build them up and be the hope of glory as this verse says the hope of glory he said something so very special he said whom we preach warning every man present active participle we want every man from news the mind and Thesis, a putting in to the mind. And teaching every man, and there's that word again, kai didasco, panta, anthropon, the present active participle in the accusative case, and he's saying, We instruct by the word of mouth with great compassion, with a great influence from the word of God. We, we want this Christ to be so in you that you will understand, Romans 5.10, that He reconciled us by His death, but He saves us by His life. He saves us by His life. And the saving element of Jesus Christ in us is when He is formed in us. And this is why Galatians 4.19 and 20, He said, I travail, I suffer... Until Christ be formed in you, lest you will just have the gospel in vain. So the saving provision, the saving power of Jesus Christ in us is due to the formation of his person, the government of his kingdom, the indwelling presence of his deity in forms of his thoughts. And therefore he said, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, and I desire to present you now. And he said, For I stand in doubt of you if Christ is not formed within you. This is a picture that Christ dying for us and Christ in us isn't even enough. He said, I warn, I teach. He said, I strive, agonisomai. I initiate, in the present tense, the participation of agonizing in a contest, an amazing contest, as he used a metaphor here comparing the Christian walk to a wrestling match. And he said, I strive with every cell, with everything in my body, with every muscle, with every effort. I'm getting out this message because I want Christ to be formed in you. He said, I wrestle as in a wrestling match against the devil. I do everything in my power carefully, prayerfully, to overcome the passivity, the wandering mind, the degenerate heart, so that Christ is in you can be formed in you. And this is so important in the visitation of God through his word, in the visitation of God in a ministry. I was so overwhelmed again this morning as each person gets up and tells of their outreach. And I just begin to eat of the fruit of God as individuals are being touched, names are being mentioned. And in all categories of life, our people praying and going out to reach every type of individual in this city was 67 outreaches week after week. Not because we, we preach it as such. Not because we legislate. Not because we make it as a program of works. We do not. People are amazed that it's seldom mentioned, except in a testimonial. But because, obviously, the People doing that are motivated by the love of this Christ that's forming in them, that has become their very source of existence, the very breath of their experience, and the very reality of their desires. And time and time again, when the devil comes in, I just reiterate and begin to stir myself up In this great thing that Christ is being formed in me. He's being formed in me. He's becoming everything that I want to become in me by my choices of thoughts. By what I think and what I submit to in his amazing love and his doctrines. So, as you consider this, I want you to think along this line that we have a very special thing because we are saved by His life. We are saved by His life. We were reconciled by His death. But we are being saved by His life. It's His life that saves us. He's ever living to make intercession for us. But it's His precious life. We fellowship with His life. And in that life is his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his patience, his kindness, his healing power, his availability to us in every state. Why should we magnify our weakness? Why should we magnify circumstances? Why should we magnify anything? Here we have Jesus Christ to magnify God Almighty, I was thinking of this great statement. Every believer has the germ of perfect manhood of Christ in him. Every Christian has the germ of perfect manhood in him. He has the incorruptible seed growing and germinating within him. Paul said we work, that means energize He said he was energized when he uses the word worketh. And work, it means energy. He said we energize that nothing be lost, that each detail be experienced in God's energy. And he said, listen, we are joined by faith to a perfect man. Why Why do we reduce the energizing to a minimum of human weakness? Why do we reduce the energy of God to a minimum of human weakness? Because we don't experience the visitation of His presence, the visitation of His promises, the visitation of His amazing power to take over our souls and to make us an integrated spiritual man who is wholesome and healthy in him. Well, as we consider these principles, what a heritage we have. Let me illustrate it. Father, you are present. You are closer than the air. The air is not as close as you are, says the book of Job. You're closer than any human person, human being on earth. You as a person have come to live in us. We, by faith in your living word, experience fresh that visitation. And with that visitation, we just enjoy you, we embrace you, and we love you. You are our mind, you are our thoughts. And you are the hope of glory as well. And with that we will quickly give you the hope of glory. And we want you to see it. First of all. Hope means something that we look forward to. And we look onward. And faith we look upward. And remember that. And with our faith we believe. But with our hope we receive. Faith. Is something that we have in the word of God. But hope is something that is built upon an anchor. And our hope of glory is in Jesus Christ in us. Let me say that again. The hope of glory is Jesus Christ in us. The hope of the church is centered on the rapture. And the blessed hope of Titus 2. 13 to 15. Then we have a hope in 1 John 3. 3. That we will be just like Jesus. Oh, that is our hope. We have an incorruptible seed in us. We, we have the germ seeds of a perfect man, and it's in us. It's growing, it's forming, it's developing. And We have it in us, and even with the acorn and the oak and the little seed and the flower and all the things that germinates in life that we understand and can relate to, every single person is on earth tonight, not as a victim of time, not as someone who will be an empty corpse in a box, not as someone who will be only as the flower that fadeth and the grass that withereth, but we inside of us have the seeds of eternity. I do not comprehend, but it's true. And it's with that that we build ourselves up and we magnify the treasure in this earthen vessel and we accept God's plan to break the treasure To break the, the vessel and to release the treasure. And we accept God's plan to do that. And every time the vessel is broken in marriage or circumstances. And the emphasis is to experience a growth in the treasure. And the treasure takes over the body with all of its strength in the midst of all of the body's weaknesses. What happens? Then we move against the Midianites. With the light of the world and with the trumpet and the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Oh, listen, I want you to notice that our hope is that we will be just like him. He will perfect us. There's not a person in this room who is saved that will not be perfected. I cannot teach this mechanically to you. And I want you to notice this, that hope is the mental attitude that results in application of doctrine. Hope is a mental attitude that results in the application of doctrine, such as eternal inheritance in First Peter 1, verses 4 and 5. And every man that had this hope purifies himself because of the hope and that's so true in First John 3.3, 3, even as he is pure. Hope is derived from this great passage in Revelation 21.4, the day when Jesus Christ says there will be no more tears, no more death, and no more pain, and no more night and no more graveyards, and no more hospitals, and no more medicine, and no more drugs or alcohol or immorality. And and this is our hope. I mean, it's just really around the corner. If you live 80 or 90 years, it's just around the corner. And whatever age you're in, you're still uh, living in the, the uncertainty of knowing when you go to meet him. But our hope is that one day, he personally will wipe away all the tears from our eyes, and He removes death, and with everything that's in it, and there'll be no night. That is a genuine, bona fide hope for the believer. Hope is a kin word for encouragement, and it also means very emphatically confidence. A it is tremendous to know that an appointment with the great white throne judgment has been canceled. When we believed in Jesus Christ and he put away sin in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. The confidence part is our perception of having boldness to Jesus Christ so that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior and we're oriented to the plan of God in eternity and he orients to the plan of God in time that is because of our hope and I want you to see that it's hope that we have in Christ in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four to 58 that has made death lose its sting and the grave loses its victory oh oh if you could grasp it thousands are dying in pain and anguish and they are hopeless and there is nothing inside to support them and when cancer comes there is absolutely no hope except any enjoyment that they may have for memory of their life but it gets worse and worse as death draws nigh but for the believer who has a lively hope who has Christ formed in him and the word of God, the application of doctrine in daily experiences and in his attitude, then death loses its sting and the word of God says the grave loses its victory. The grave has no victory. Abraham was promised the new Jerusalem and Abraham, though a millionaire, is a tent, dealer, tent dweller he was a tent dweller. Think of it, a millionaire that was a tent dweller in Hebrews eleven nine to 11. But his hope was vested in the promise of God of what would take place in the future. And that's a real millionaire. He wouldn't mind giving it away because his hope was for a city whose builder and maker was God, and with his millionaire status way back then and dwelling in tents, Abraham could say, no, I'm not looking for a city down here, but I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God.
0: Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graysonpublic.com
2: I love the book of Hebrews and I seem to keep coming back to it. Let's start in Hebrews 1, uh, starting in verse 1. So, uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That is a loaded few verses there. That is loaded. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. So here we see, why did Jesus come? And how did he come? Now, he's quoting Psalm 40. What it says in Psalm 40 is, Thou opened my ear, O Lord, to speak doctrine to me. It's saying that the Messiah's ear was opened to hear from the Father. But here it's saying, Thou preparest a body for me because of your word. It's a commentary on Psalm 40, like Deuteronomy is a commentary on Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And it's saying, you, the Jewish people have offered its sins and sa- for its sacrifice for sins and blood and bulls and goats, and it didn't have the value that they put on it. God gave them an edict to do it by law, but God was never pleased with it. It was always to point to the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why did God have no pleasure in those sacrifices? Because people did it because they had to. That's why. Jesus didn't do what he did. He was given a body. He, he can't oh, I come in the, in the book. I'm here to do your will, God. That's the kind of relationship that pleases God. And that's why Jesus pleased his Father at every turn. Because that was always his mindset. I will do, I will sacrifice, I will give my body. If that's what it takes, I'll take on a body, I'll give it up. It's a sacrifice I'll make because of love, because of intimacy, because that's who you are, Father. Because if you came in a body, Father, you would die on a cross. Amen. To reconcile men. That's what you would do. Amen. And lo, I come in the volume of the book. I'm right there in Psalm 40. I'm there in Psalm 1. I'm there in Psalm 2. Through the fathers, through the prophets, you heard about me. The Spirit of God whispered to you who I would be, what I would be like, what I would do in shadows and in part, in edicts and law. You would see pieces of my character. But now I stand on the earth and you see me for who I am, and the Father is revealed, that which is invisible now shines forth. The brightness of his glory, once covered, now is uncovered. Mm. And what is it? It's a relationship of love. It's a relationship that's complete. It's holiness, it's righteousness, lived out in a life. And you know, that's what we have. That's what we have. Amen. That's what we have. Father says, come. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Because you know what? The relationship I have and had and ever will have with my son, I have with you now. It's not a relationship of sacrifice by the law, but it's that you are the reflection of the person of who I am. When you walk with me, when the spirit of god when the when the mind of christ when we are in sweet communion together then the brightness of who i am the brightness that shines always in heaven now is shining on the earth through a life an earthen vessel that has treasure in it.
0: We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is com.
2: Hope and glory. Two of the most powerful words in the English language. Hope. You could say hope in maybe our culture. You could say it means entertaining the possibility of a good result. Have hope means that there'll be a good end to a situation. Glory, glory is a little more difficult to define, isn't it? <laughs> the glory of God and talk about glory. Giving God glory, give him all the glory. What does it mean to give glory to God? What does the glory of God mean? In Colossians one twenty seven there's a mystery that God would reveal, and it's Christ in you a hope of glory. Glory, uh, doxa in the scriptures, uh, the verb there is dokeo, to think or recognize a person or thing for what it is. The glory of God, giving God glory, means explaining about the person of God as he really is. Talking about God in a way that's actual, in a way that's real. And God is glorious bright and shining, true and awesome beyond our imagining. With Christ in you, the, God will shine forth from your life. There will be a brightness that isn't sourced in you, but it's really sourced in Him. To live this life to its fullest is to live it knowing, knowing God. And to know God, we know we need to know Jesus Christ and have received Him as our Savior. So would you do that today? The Lord wants to live in you and through you. Please, receive Christ today as your Savior. Do it in the quietness of your heart. Contact us if you'd like. Amen.